Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Unauthorized Cinnamon, a Deadwood podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Herman. I'm Harry J. Prowse, the other. This week, we are looking at episode eight of season two, entitled Childish Things. And one thing I thought was interesting and I only caught because we were, I think I watched these two episodes and then went back to watch them and take notes. But in the previous episode, EB was left out. In their meeting, Sai has a line uh, where he says, in the thoroughfare this morning, an event transpired which cannot be repeated. As the apostle had it, times passed for acting like infants. And that, you know, scripture verse says, uh, when I was young, it's like, I, I've put aside childish things. Mm-hmm. So this, so this phrase is from a scripture that was referenced in the previous episode. But this episode, the childish things are are not exactly that, I don't think. Um, I would think childish things are more, you know, Tom Noddle's bike ride that kind of unites the camp. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, the Seth and Alma and Mrs. Uh, Bullock storyline. <laughs> story it's really unfortunate I can't. You know, I've seen these episodes several times, and I still can't remember Skyler's name in Deadwood, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. except for Mrs. Bullock. Well, we know Bullock. I, I yeah. think the hang-up is we don't really associate her with Seth. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I knew Martha. Right? Yeah. Know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I could say Martha, but I'm trying, I was like, Mrs. Uh, what's her name? <laughs> Martha. Mrs. Uh, <laughs> forget her last name. Who's her husband? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same as, anyway. I mean, I, there's also a little, uh, watching this episode, um, I guess in terms of childish things, uh, especially in regards to Joni and Jane and their own attitudes towards their own life hmm. and their kind of carelessness with it. As a, We'll talk about it more as we get there, but um, I think that kind of ties in with it as well. Sure. Depending that. on um, how you view uh, having a death wish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, a little bit of housekeeping up at the top. Uh, folks, if you could head to our iTunes, give us a subscribe and a rating and a review. Um, that's going to help us out a lot uh, as far as climbing the charts. We know we got a lot of listeners, not that many reviews. Um, so if you guys could do that, that'd be great. Also, be sure to check us out on Facebook. We're, you know, on Authorized Cinema on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Deadwood Pod. Um, you can join the dozens who are following us there. There's there's good stuff besides just you know letting you know whenever the newest episode is out. But as far as this week's episode, we start out in the gem, and this is kind of a weird. It's not exactly in media race, but mm-hmm. kind of just jumps right in yeah. in a way that most episodes don't. Yeah, usually a episode has like somebody waking up or somebody kind of going towards something. Here we're already in the middle of. Uh... Maybe not in the middle, but like at the beginning of just a conversation with uh, Seth and Al. Yeah, I think it kind of is in the middle of a conversation, uh-huh. but the way it's written so yeah, theatrically, yeah. it mm-hmm. begins at a very <laughs> certain point where, where you know, Al's asking Seth, like, what's the first thing you knew about me when you saw me? Because <laughs> you were a killer. And he's like, well, uh, you know, not pulling any punches. You know, certain things show through the muck is what he says. Uh, and he points out Dolly. And says, like, you look at her, you know she's fucked for food. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, But the point that Al's making is you can look at Seth and not know what 
he's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he calls it, well, are you a cunt-driven lunatic? And he's like, <laughs> it's hard to tell. And he says, probably because most of the time Seth can't even tell himself uh, what's going on. But the way, but, you know, even if he is a psychopath, he makes a good appearance is what right. Al says. And this is important for the driving motivation of Seth, and the, uh, not Seth, uh, driving motivation of Al in this episode. He has a plan. He can walk again, finally, mm-hmm. and he's going to start putting it into action. Um, he brings up this supposed judge in Montana uh, that Seth knows. And Seth is very Seth about it and be like, mm-hmm. I don't have any association with that judge anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Al's <clears throat> like, well, are you dealing with money or can you, like, be friends again? But yeah, Al is saying that he doesn't want them to be seen as runs he has a line it's like we want to build ourselves up to show it don't fade us as runts or two-headed calves or pigs with excess legs to a good fucking grinding up uh so he doesn't want to be you know like it says just uh eaten alive by this hearse machine he wants to be formidable and be able to stand up for himself and seth kind of offhandedly says like well you want to be dictator and i was like what the fuck we need a dictator for (laughs) he's saying he wants to get the all the hoople heads behind him get the public behind him because um as much as yankton and hearst might have political power and money they're never going to be more um how do you want to say it uh likable (laughs) to the common man um. So they c- if they can get this popular support behind them, they'll at least have the power of all these people. Which you know, it's not as good as money, but <laughs> it's something. Uh. So he asks Seth, like, so what's your position? There's there's a great speech by by Al. It's like our moment permits interest in one question only: Will we of Deadwood? be more than target for ass-fucking. To not grab ankle is to declare yourself interested. What's your posture, Bullet? As you see. Who's out there? Al is encouraged by this. Yeah. <laughs> and toasts him in the hoople head behind him at the bar. <laughs> I notice this happen a lot, like, Last uh, last episode, I think, when Khan and Leon were trying to drum up business in the Chinese whores, they were like uh, making some like uh, euphemisms about about uh, you know Chinese women. I think Hawkeye just pipes in like, "I call mine a Johnny Roger." <laughs> <laughs> uh, drunk hoopals just kind of joining in things that they're not a part of. Um, after this, where we see uh, Al kind of sketch out his plan, now we see where Walcott is at. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, <laughs> that mining operation is running. Yeah. <laughs> it's going big time. And um, so he's writing a letter to Hearst and he's letting him know where they stand. Um, they're going well. They've got Cornish and German immigrants working for them. And apparently they talk about the Cornish are uh, quicker to work, but they're more eager to organize. And he says complain, which, you know, 
are probably things like, hey, can we have a maybe 10 hour work day? Yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> um, but we see them out there and they're showering them naked because they get gold fleck, flakes and they kind of just like grease it into their hair. This mm-hmm. way they wash it out. Mm-hmm. Uh and just like and fall into the traps below the showers. Yeah, just get more gold, get as much as they possibly can. Yeah, and and they uh, apparently Hearst wants to move to twenty four hour operation, but Walcott says, you know, we need to have more employees than independent miners before we introduce that because you know if they're employees, they can't complain. They're going to get upset. Like these independent mm-hmm. miners are going to get upset because they would need to hire Chinese that they can, I guess, force to work at night. Uh, but Germans and Cornish are unwilling to work overnight. Yeah, which is this is this is uh, setting up the role of Hearst as this um, industrialist that just grinds people to death in the gears of his operation, mm-hmm. and they're just looking at them as chattel and you know all that. Um, but yeah, and also quick note jim beaver in his comments on what's alan watching and alan seppenwall's coverage of these episodes he tells a story that this episode when they shot this was actually shot on the uh, garrett claim mm-hmm. set but they just made it look different for hearst this day the wind chill was below freezing oh jesus So that's when they had naked people showering oh, in the open. And he said how miserable he was doing his monologue to mm-hmm. the dog yeah. later. And he was all bundled up. Mm-hmm. You know, he had clothing on. Yeah. <laughs> unlike these poor motherfuckers. Yeah. Oh, boy. Spare also- a thought. <laughs> and for any judgment you wanted to pass on the side of their naked bodies, just keep in mind that it was literally freezing. Yeah. So hats off to those poor unnamed extras that. I at least hope we're paid well. But on the subject of these naked miners, we learn more about their efforts to keep larceny in check. Mm -hmm. And we meet Captain Turner, who becomes a very notable cast member. Uh, We see him, you know, he beats, (laughs) I think he like, hits a guy on the dick with his with his like blackjack or something like that yeah i'm like god damn turner <laughs> uh but yeah he bends him over and pulls some gold out of his asshole uh the guy tries to run he shoots him uh and this is an introduction to turner and that's going to be his role mm-hmm. as enforcer and uh walcott calls him security man um but we also get from walcott the info that they've bought up every meaningful plot of land except for Alma's and they have to, he says once they acquire the land owned by the Manuel brothers who will uh, cover more later, mm-hmm. they'll own every worthwhile deposit there is except for Alma's, which is like, God damn. Like I knew yeah. that was like their point with Sai and all these uh, buying up these claims, but they got all of them. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he signs off saying he's heard that Hearst is arriving soon. So, we have that to look forward to. Uh, back in the Bella Union, Doc is begging Sai to let him look after the Chinese whores. And he says, you know, what, aside from any Ill, illnesses that they almost certainly have, mm-hmm. they're fucking starving to death. Um, and Sai 
is going to decline this offer in the most rat fucked way possible. He <laughs> says, like, look, they've got a different culture. The women are disposable. He's like, look, I'm. he tries to paint himself as a, a tolerant and open to other cultures <laughs> of, like, look, my ways are not theirs, but I'm not here to say that our ways are any better. Uh, he said their women are disposable and like they, you know, they at least shoot them up full of dope so they're not hurting as much. Yeah. And Doc says, okay, well, until you let me look at them, I'm not going to see it in your whites. And he convinces him. He goes like, I'll look after him pro bono. Mm-hmm. I love size line of like, I know what that means. Prove to me you do. <laughs> uh, and he says, I'll look after him for free. And size like here also let me tolerate a different opinion <laughs> which all right and i love that as doc is leaving he just like bumps violently into walcott with yeah. his case <laughs> <laughs> and walcott just has to stare off like okay all right but now ladies and fucking germs we get the motherfucking bicycle <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for this shit a long time. Tom is unloading his bicycle, which is the best thing to ever happen to him (laughs) for a while. Merrick has to be as Merrick as possible and be like, in French, it's called the Velocipede, meaning go swiftly into the world. Like, shut the fuck up, Merrick. And Tom, this... This is the gents' bone shaker model. And the French can stay the fuck out of it. Uh, and I love that, like, uh, Johnny's also tickled by it. Mm-hmm. And says, How's that for a contraption, boss? <laughs> it's just really great. And then also, along with the bicycle, we also get Blazanov, uh, which I was excited to see. Blazanov of the Shining and Black Hills Telegram service. <laughs> really great. Uh, but he meets Merrick because he's going to be shacking up with Merrick mm-hmm. for work purposes. Um, he asks, like, if his apparatus has been played with and whatever. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's worried about the electronic fluid or some shit. I don't know. But uh, then Tom also shows off his bicycle to Henry, who knows the exact name of the model. So he's... Is it Henry or William? Yes, it's William. Yeah. I don't know why I said Henry. William is his name. Uh, But now we get the soliloquy of Ellsworth talking to his dog. Uh, Jim Beaver also had like a really funny comment. He says everyone thinks it's so cute that Ellsworth talks to his dog. And Jim Beaver fucking hated that dog. (laughs) He was saying like, you know, on that day... He was very careful to say, like, look, as bad as I had it, it wasn't as bad as those guys that had to shower naked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he said, and that day was freezing. And, like, you go through a lot of takes as an actor trying to get it right, but it doesn't matter what you do. Like, they need to get the dog looking on the right uh, way. And he brings up, like, any time you're working with animals or children, which I think was, wasn't that, uh, 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 God damn, what's that guy's name? Oh, uh, uh, W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields. <laughs> W.C. Fields had a famous like clause where he wouldn't work with children or animals or something like that. Um, but he said, like, yeah, like you're doing your work, but they're just trying to get that fucking thing to look in the correct direction. Mm. And he's like, 
I would think I nailed it, but it wasn't looking the right way. And then I thought I had a bad take, but it was looking the right way. So that's <laughs> the one they're going to use. But anyway, he hated it. But he's he's telling them that, like, look, maybe I don't deserve a second chance, you know, but like maybe God doesn't give out uh, second chances to people that are worthy. It's just people that he needs to to do his will and, you know, mm-hmm. helping all like Alma needs help with the children. So, you know, if he can help in that way, he can. He's like, I might not have any. It's like when a boulder needs hauling, I will haul it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I might not be good or smart, but I'll fucking I'll roll up my sleeves and do the work, which is maybe all she needs. <laughs> um, But we are back in Alma's room. And this was this was uh, <laughs> a goddamn good scene yeah so martha's brought william over um they're gonna play for sophia i I really i don't know it's not important but it just tickled me the way he says it It smelled good and (laughs) she's like oh we were having uh some berry tea like (laughs) uh, like, i'm sorry i didn't know it was tea (laughs) i don't want any tea i'm sorry i didn't know that what the smell was that's like very accurate like kid thinking of like i i it did I, smell, but I don't want tea. I didn't I, know that's why. I, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't like it. I don't know why. I haven't tried it. I just don't like it. Yeah, but um, he goes to talk to Sophia, and uh, he's, they're going to play together and look at her books in the corner. I love that bit where she's like, you know, don't show him your toys. Show him only your books. <laughs> <laughs> just fun time for kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reason of their visit is Martha is there. Uh, to propose, um, since Miss Stokes has been run off by uh, Leon shitting on Merrick's desk, mm-hmm. uh, Martha wants William to have someone to socialize with and the other kids in the camp. Mm-hmm. Someone to socialize with, and this visibly upsets Alma. And at first, I don't know about you, but I just didn't understand, like, why is this a problem for her? Yeah. Um, we find out later, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, she starts to, you know, make fire for the tea. <laughs> Alma t- <laughs> turns in. We get petty Alma again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, we would be prepared if we had adequate notice. <laughs> and it's like, oh, shit, she's turning it. She's turning it petty. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> she said, as you're, uh, she says, I always seem to come across you at the wrong time, at an inopportune time. Mm-hmm. Almost says, as you said yourself, simple, simple courtesy could forestall that. It's like, ooh. And then she says, I'm trying to imagine what courtesy on my part could forestall the last awkwardness between us. And that's when the like reggae air horns are going off. <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, then we find out that, you know, it turns out Alma was afraid that Martha was going to steal Sophia away from her. Yeah. Uh, which, okay, now we see what's going on, you know. Alma's lost the companionship of Seth. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she sees this as Martha. She can, I would imagine she can tell that Martha has more maternal instincts. Yeah. And that Sophia would probably come to view her as a mother much more than she would Alma. Right. Uh, I don't think that's really any of Alma's fault. It's just that she doesn't have the instincts that, mm-hmm. that Martha does. Yeah. Um, and I would think she's also still 
bitter about losing Seth to her. And she brings, there's the lines like, so is your intention to steal Sophia from me as well? And she goes, as well as who, Mrs. Garrett? And she said, why? She, like, let's give Molly Parker some props. Yeah. She fucking nails her with that, like, (laughs) why Mrs. Bullock? Uh, As well as your son. Whom else could I mean? (laughs) You know, like, um... This runs the risk of being sort of soap opera drama, but like it's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Like those lines are, you know, better than anything uh I've seen on, you know, whatever uh what is it, vampire diaries or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you go there? <laughs> Claudia loves vampire diaries. Oh, okay. <laughs> That has to be the worst television show I've ever come across. Really? I think it is, yeah. <laughs> I thought Gossip Girl was going to be, but even that, like, I can I can stand watching a couple episodes of Gossip Girl. Vampire Diaries, I've never seen anything worse. Anyway. Let <laughs> that be to... our next podcast. <laughs> we just got <laughs> through all this shit. <laughs> name of the, every episode just like, Fuck. God damn, I can't watch Ian Solmer Halder's eyebrows anymore. <laughs> um, anyway, now we're in Al's office. There's a great opening to the scene of is he bumping into Al? <laughs> <laughs> and I look, you know, I'm really coming to uh, appreciate help me with the actress's name. God damn it. Oh, uh, Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson's acting in here uh-huh. this this is just a really good episode for her <laughs> yeah and it begins with her like you know she bumps into al and she's like I, i'm sorry change of the light <laughs> i love it i'm just like looking at her like taking in her reaction like uh all right no problem uh thanks for brushing up against my prick <laughs> uh i would kind of roll my eyes but mm-hmm. isringhausen's like the one that couldn't take it yeah yeah uh and then they go over how it's going to work with uh, they're going to frame Dan for the murder, mm-hmm. which comes as a surprise to Dan. Um, and he he says, like, we'll get the 50,000, 10,000 of Dan, 10,000 Adams. Dan will, uh, you know, escape custody on the way back yeast or whatever. So they just work all that out. Um, and then Dan has to, like... <laughs> Uh, Al's like, will you excuse me while I apologize to the guilty party? Don't brush again, my prick. <laughs> Which again, like, uh, I would, I would kind of go, oh, you jerk, if it were yeah. anything, but is like Isringhausen's, she can take it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's their idea with Isringhausen. Mm-hmm. Now we go back to the number t- <laughs> to the number ten, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> There's this great like uh, 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 boastfulness on Tom's part of uh-huh. like <laughs> no pothole can uh, you know defeat my bicycle. And there's a uh, this this hooplehead in the bar, which I found out is a writer, and I think I have a note somewhere. Um, if you'll give me a second to oh, sure. uh, look it up, and now I. Yeah, it's, uh, no, well, I took the note, but it is not showing up. Um, so I don't know what happened to it, but he was a writer for National Lampoon. 
oh, like wow. one of the original ones, and he's written on a whole bunch of other TV series. He was a writer for um, for Deadwood too. Oh. Um, but anyway, he's saying like, I don't think that that can handle the potholes, which I was looking at. I was like, I don't think that could handle a paved road <laughs> for Christ's sake. Uh, but Tom disagrees. Uh, he has, you know, I think there's a laugh line and a line he repeats that I don't, you know, we, we say cocksucker enough. You don't have to get more into it, but they essentially make a bet that, you know, he won't make it across you know, the thoroughfare or the boardwalk. Um, and they have to do like, you know, eight to one odds for the thoroughfare. And <laughs> I love that Tom is like, my bicycle shall swoop across it. <laughs> uh, and he has the other line, like animals, drunks and sundries to be cleared for my lane of passage. <laughs> um, and also during the scene, Merrick is showing Blazanov mm-hmm. around and he shows him where Wild Bill was shot. So, Blazanov is, uh, I loved it. Blazanov watches all this betting happen. He's like, what has just happened? Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, that's a great little bit of business. Um, so back at Bullock's house, Seth is getting a, a rude awakening to domestic life. And she's telling him that uh, she's only had time to make cold meat sandwiches. And he's like, that fine. Good. Okay, good. And she's like, there's a bicycle in town. And Seth's just like, okay, good. That's good. And she, you know, breaks down saying that, um, like, she thought it was just wonderful that I teach the camp's children. And then she kind of brings up, she's a widow. Her, she's in a strange town. Her husband's dead. Anyone would find her situation sympathetic, especially someone with your instincts uh, and you know, Seth doesn't reply to that. Just kind of stares in space because he's not ready for the sort of conversation. Yeah. Um, but she's visibly upset about this whole thing. Um, outside of Charlie's place, Jane is puking, and customers are running off. Um, this is where he tells her about Joni. She's alone in the chez ami. She's lost some of her friends. And uh, Charlie's, you know, kind of like, it might be good for you to talk to her. She could use, you know, the help of someone that's also lost a friend. You mm-hmm. kind of commiserate and encourage each other. <laughs> I love her line of, how does standing in my own puke prompt you to volunteer me to give a <laughs> condolence call? <laughs> um, yeah, he's making the point of, like, can you like, put yourself to some good use? Like, are you happy with the way you are right now? Like, um, the next scene in the hardware store we get kind of a view of these childish things. Mm-hmm. Seth is going to act pretty childish. Saul, uh, you can kind of see in Saul him starting to be like, okay, you know, you've got your job, you've got your position, you've, you're set up with a family now. Trixie's with us working. We're not fighting at the moment. <laughs> This is kind of working, and you see him getting a little bit bold about, you know, how are the wife and kids, and Seth's just like, the who? Oh, fine. (laughs) (laughs) um, So he brings up, like, what about Marcus's lot for the bank? And Seth's just like, great. And he's like, I think it's a really good location. Uh, And he talks about how, oh, all like, when I say he's getting a little bit bold, I think the fact that he's bringing up Alma around him, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, she's going to Cheyenne. She's going to get 
this amount of money at this percentage, whatever. And he's like, I think that's very reasonable. And Seth brings up that, like, I don't think Marcus's lot is good because then she's going to have to look at my building all the time. And that I don't think that's really smart. S- Saul, y- you asshole. And Saul's just like, I didn't think the <laughs> matter was so sensitive. And he's like, it's not overly sensitive. Just be courteous. Uh, and Trixie's pissed. So, you know, whatever. Pixie's. Trixie's. Pixie. Pixie's. Uh, Trist. About to go on a wave of <laughs> mutilation <laughs> against everybody. Uh, but no, she's uh, mad at them. Just because I think they just needed Trixie to be mad at them. It didn't like y'all aren't showing much courtesy to me. It's like, what are you talking? Oh, whatever. Um, but yeah, Saul is clearly frustrated that like I thought we were past this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not. Now we get to meet Moe's manual. And this is um I had really forgotten how good uh, the Moses played by Pruitt Taylor Vince, mm-hmm. who's you know very uh, what do you call it? prolific mm-hmm. character actor, right? Yeah, in tons of stuff. He's really really good as Mose. Yeah, because he's you know we're warned you know Psy uh, kind of warns Walcott like you got the worst of the two Manuel brothers like these guys are apparently people who don't like other people and don't like to interact with others and are just really ornery mm-hmm. and uh mo's <laughs> i loved it like Cy greets him and the first thing he says is fuck you tolliver <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah walcott comes up to mo's and what i what i thought was really good is the way uh he just goes state your business he's kind of this when when you think of like a rowdy western you know uneducated uh mean hooplehead you think mm-hmm. of like fuck you i hate you but he's a very like he's the sort of asshole that you come across more often in life the yeah. very like measured and seeming like a guy who says the rudest shit to you but mm-hmm. says it like he's smarter than you <laughs> like state your business please you know mm-hmm. uh so basically walcott says like look from what i understand you don't like dealing with people <laughs> and you if you get if you want to get any more uh, value out of your gold claim, you're going to have to scale up and deal with more people and employees, and you don't have to deal with that. We are prepared to deal with it. We'll buy it off you. He offers them $200,000. Problem that comes up is Moe's brother is an asshole, and Moe's brother, <laughs> like, they hate each other, and uh He's encumbered every breath he's ever taken and <laughs> this sort of thing. So we get the problem of Moses' brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in Alma's room, we see the other half of the fallout of Alma and Martha's talk together. Mm-hmm. Um, Alma is just all keyed up and wants to take out this aggression. You know, we, we talked before about how characters can't attack the source of their problems they have to take it out on someone else yeah alma thinks that she's gonna head towards someone else that she can pick on and she's gonna learn a tough lesson she goes over to isringhausen's door asks like why are you still here um she she like really lights into her but like i think you're a fraud i think you have some ulterior motive for being here and isringhausen is is liberated of the need to act 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> she she has some fun with her. Like, why, Mrs. Garrett? Who do you think I am? You know, <laughs> very sarcastically. And she she very deftly pokes at Alma with the like, mm-hmm. I hope you're not all up. <laughs> she sees right through her, too. She's yeah. like, wow, you're sure riled up. Like, yeah. I hope it's not because of some affair gone awry. Yeah. I hope to God not involving Mr. Bullock. <laughs> Which, <laughs> then Alma tries to hit her, and Ezra has him just like grabs it. <laughs> yeah, no just, problem yeah, at all. No, this is uh, you know, she spent some time on the Mississippi. Yeah, <laughs> the Mississippi. You're never gonna let Sarah Paulson live that down. <laughs> no man. Yeah, I think it, she finally gets what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a great little like, you know. All right, Mrs. Garrett, you've had your fit of temper. Now go the fuck back to your room. <laughs> it's this was, you know, another. I brought up like Sarah Paulson's great acting at the beginning, but she was also great with Al, the sort of like doing business, and she's very much on his level. Yes, in a way that few people are. Mm-hmm. Even she's she's even more on his level than like Magistrate Claggett was. Mm-hmm. Um. She she handles herself quite well, and now in this scene, she does this great, like, I am way smarter than Alma Garrett, and I'm just going to, like, play with her like a fucking cat with a mouse. Yeah. Uh, really just great. And that little dagger at the end of, like, you've had your fit of temper, and get the fuck back to your room. <laughs> but, uh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is This is the good shit. Tom's getting ready to ride his bicycle and we start to see everyone coming out and people are actually happy. <laughs> uh, we see Charlie, Saul and Trixie. And eventually we see Richardson. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, Richardson runs in and uh, Scott Farkas is still at the, at the welcome desk. Like, don't wake Mr. Farnham. We can sneak out and see the race. And <laughs> Richard's just like, where is he? Where yeah. is he doing? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just realized yeah. my Richardson is basically Dale from King of the Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's killing you? <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, he like, the the Irish guy is just like, don't wake him up. Let's just sneak out. But Richardson is so he like so loyal to Evie that he doesn't want to even like you know. You could say loyal. loyal. He's also he's in, also afraid of like, Evie. <laughs> yeah, he's internalized this abuse yeah. that Evie heaps on him because he, you know self loathing and, and mm-hmm. simpleness or yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, he's also very loyal to Evie. <laughs> He gets into EB's little hidey hole, this disgusting little rat's nest where EB lives. Uh, In EB's. Yeah, this is just thoroughly good shit. EB's just like, it looks like he's snoring, but his mouth's open and he's leaned back. And Richardson walks over. And does he ask if he's awake or. Or does he just like shove his hand down his throat? Yeah, he's he's like, I think he bursts in. He's yeah. like, I think he asks, like, "Are you okay?" And then he's like, "What's killing you?" Yeah, what's killing you? <laughs> <laughs> we see that Eb's like actually gagging 
on something and actually choking. <laughs> and he's just like, eh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Luffy wakes up and then Richardson like dumps water over his head <laughs> like a goddamn Three Stooges cartoon. <laughs> yeah. And he's, yeah, he's soaked a, a piece of cloth with clove and put it on mm-hmm. his tooth because he's got a toothache and he fell asleep and started gagging on yeah. it. And like you know, <laughs> he's like, "Are you saved, sir?" Yeah. <laughs> and it, instead he, of instead of possibly like giving Richardson, like, "Oh wow, you did save me." Yeah, that's <laughs> never gonna happen. <laughs> there, there's nothing that Richardson could do. Um, but yeah, he yells at him for putting his dirty mouth in his <laughs> dirty hands in his mouth. <laughs> and the like, hand was down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> and he does like a little ooh, yeah. like he's gonna like 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 knee it or something yeah. but it's just like pathetic physical comedy and i love it. i love it never violate my private office again and there's just this like awful looking rat's nest and i think in the in the um commentary tracks or something like that milch talks about they had that door behind him that he would like come out of and there was never anything like really behind it. It was just like EB would come out of that door to the front desk. And he, mm-hmm. he said, I was just wondering like what kind of disgusting rat's <laughs> nest must be behind that door. <laughs> so you can tell he was basically like, I, I want to see it. Yeah. Um, but uh, now back, at, I just realized this episode kind of takes a while to get going. Yeah. Um, as much as there's like great scenes, like, uh, we get into like just really great stuff where so now Dan is outside Al's office and he can hear Al talking to someone and there's like concern <laughs> like Dan like walks in and kind of looks around like uh, sorry if I'm intruding or anything Uh, he then goes up he's like boss sometimes I can hear you talking and I know there's no one in this room and there's this great this seems like to me, this seems like Milch talking about why he talks to himself. <laughs> Al explains to him, like, you've not yet reached the age, Dane, where you just find yourself saying things out loud that you should keep to yourself. Dan says, like, oh, I'm, I mean, mut- I've muttered. It's like, I'm not talking about muttering. I'm talking about habitual fucking vocalizing of thoughts best kept to yourself. Uh and then he just straight up tells Dan's like, I've been talking to this package lately. And Dan at first looks at it like a smile. And then he says that it's got the rotting head of the Indian chief that he that he bought. And Dan's smile drops. <laughs> <laughs> Some great physical comedy by W. Earl Brown. Yeah. The like, well, anyway, it's the late shift. <laughs> <laughs> You're busy. Yeah. And then there's that great little shot of when he like closes the door. And then, like, he sticks his head back up to the door to listen in. It's one of the best composed shots yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, like, the series. It's beautifully shot with that shaft of light across his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, before that, like, Al asked him, like, you got any wager? You got you uh, wagering any one way or the other on Tom's ride? And <laughs> that's another, like, nah. I mean, I'm rooting for him, but. I don't think he can do it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to root again him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, the Indian got an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and Al just stares at him. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. But uh, yeah, then Al takes the package out to the balcony so he can watch Tom's ride. Mm-hmm. 
don't the decapitated deserve recreation, chief? <laughs> and uh, he opens him up, and he's like, oh, boy. <laughs> I'll, like, suffer the low vantage. Yeah. <laughs> it's better for my standing in the camp. Because, yeah, it's a rotting goddamn head. Yeah. It's weird to think about, like, a brain being in there and, like, decomposing. That must, yeah. that must smell through the package, but yeah. whatever. Anyway, now comes my line of the episode. <laughs> Because Tom, like, he's he also has, like, this little blackjack, and he just, like, whacks a guy and goes, that's a, the, the guy's asking him to mm-hmm. take a fall yeah. and, you know, fix the, the wager. And Tom says, corruption won't never breathe stinky on my bicycle. <laughs> it's really great. And there's a bit of Merrick showing Blazanoff how he's, he's going to set a small aperture and uh, set a faster shutter speed so mm-hmm. he can catch <laughs> Merrick's right. And I'm like looking at that yeah. camera. like, there's no way you can get, <laughs> get an action shot with that fucking thing where it's like you had to sit still for a portrait. Yeah. But anyway, he's going to attempt it. And I think he's successful because it seems to be like the, one of the one times where everything like goes right. Yeah. Uh, but before the actual race, We've seen the number 10, Mose, comes in to talk to his brother, who's Charlie, who that makes his name Charlie Manuel, which is uh, a longtime manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> Charlie Manuel. I don't think he was at this point, though, which makes it weird. But anyway, that actor was also had a recurring role on Parks and Recreation that was really <laughs> funny. Like he was I think he was like the the um, I think he was like a garbage or the uh, no, he was like the. Joe from sewage just unhooked your bra with his eyes. What? Oh, boy. Hi, Joe. What's up, Nope? Looking good these days. What do you say? Fans out back. Let's roll. Where is this coming from? I don't know. You're putting out some vibe today. It's just driving me crazy. Listen, if you're looking for a good time, why don't you come on down to the toilet party? That's what we call the sewage department. But he's telling, you know, Moses telling Charlie... Like, hey, we got to sell or we're going to fuck it up. And Charlie's, as advertised, just being an asshole. Just like, speak for yourself. <laughs> He's like, speaking for myself, you're going to fuck it up if we don't sell. And he just, again, just goes, speak for yourself. <laughs> so Mose just shoots him. Which we're laughing, but it's uh, a great tragedy of the series that yeah. just happened. Mm-hmm. But he times it just with the starting gun for Tom's mm-hmm. ride going off. So it gets covered up. Yeah. Now, Tom's Ride, this is one of my favorite sequences of the show. Mm-hmm. Maybe because it's one of the shows, like, other than, like, the town dance. Yeah. It's, like, one of the few genuinely heartwarming sequences. Um, even if it does come in, like, we can't have that without someone dying. Yeah. You know, Charlie mm-hmm. Manuel dies, but... Uh, Al is at first just kind of quietly watching and kind of like, come on, Tom. But at, by the end, he's just like shouting and yeah. like, come on. Uh, yeah. Merrick seems to get the photo off. Like he mm-hmm. seems to get it. There's no like physical comedy of Merrick. Like, oh, goodness, please, sir, watch where you're stepping. <laughs> uh, he actually gets it. Seth is, I I don't know if you notice this. He's standing next to the soap of the prize inside, asshole. Oh, no, I didn't catch that. Yeah, like, even those two are united yeah, it's in just, cheering for Tom. Just some little spectacle to bring everybody together. Mm-hmm. 
I thought this was a great, you know, in the write-ups that I've read, they're just kind of talking about how this is one of those moments where people can be united, but I kind of saw it as the role of sports in society Mm -hmm. that no matter how different we are, what, what disagreements we may have, like when a city has like a team and they can watch them be successful and all that, it, it brings everyone together for all the other faults of it. It's just one of those things, you know, and we see that even Walcott has a little smile on his face at the end. And this is the, I think this is the, the societal function of things like sports or any sort of diversion where we can all enjoy human performance and, and I know what you call like the, you know, chance of things happening, you know, where we can just forget whatever's going on in our lives and enjoy diversion. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if we'd see Psy smile, but I think that's impossible. No. I think he's probably like picking people's pockets while they're yeah. watching something <laughs> like that. Um, but, you know, after that's over, like the fun is short lived. Mm-hmm. As Mose comes up to Walcott and says, Oh, Charlie's, uh, he's dead as a gunshot. And he was, it was fucking stupid. He was cleaning his gun. And Walcott's like, It was a mistake then. And he's like, you don't have any other relatives, but you can tell that Moses already like having serious trouble with it. Yeah. Walcott's trying to finalize this. Like he is dead. He's a hundred percent dead. There's no one else mm-hmm. that can like make a claim for it. And Moses is just like, I just fucking told you there's no one else. All right. He was all I had. He's <laughs> all I had. Yeah. And it's like, uh, uh. and so Walcott's like 200,000 cash upon execution. And Moses says, we already fucking executed. Which mm-hmm. is just kind of like, you know, words getting mixed up, but yeah. showing that where both of their minds are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is Walcott's like, look, we can finally get this done. And Moses is like, I fucking killed my only living relative yeah. for this money. Um, Now we go to the chase on me where Joni is still sitting. Where we, that was like the final shot of last episode. Um, and she's still there. But Jane comes in. And we got a mutual pain in the fucking balls for Charlie fucking Utter. Um, so they're they're just kind of talking. Jane um, says, you know, I, I heard you lost your friends. Like, uh, probably not from plague, I reckon. Probably from fucking violence. Um, she mentioned, that, like, oh, I worked a plague tent last summer. And Joni had heard people talk about all the good that she had done there. So. Mm-hmm. She has at least, you know, somewhat of a good standing in the camp because people yeah. remember how many people she saved. Um, and Joni's offering her a drink. It's like, like, do you want a drink? Like, yes, but my starting position is no. <laughs> um, and there's like, maybe I will have a drink for sociability's sake and because I'm a fucking drunk. <laughs> uh, well, what's your preference? That it ain't been previously swallowed? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Joni opens up. Um, that it was three of her friends that were murdered. Um, and three more that she had to send away so they wouldn't be murdered. Uh, Jane wonders if it's connected to the guy that Charlie beat up and Joni tells her that it is. It was this guy. Um, so Jane asks if Walcott poses any danger to her. Like, is that why you're sitting in the dark? And 
that's when Joni kind of comes out like, yeah, I'm just waiting for it. Mm-hmm. The sitting cat is waiting. Jane says like, well, that's a dark fucking thought that she's like, I'm just going to. She kind of tries to give her the out that like, oh, you just don't know what else to say right now because yeah. it's kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. Because Jane was there, she brings out this bottle of Basil Hayden bourbon, mm-hmm. which uh, will come in handy later. Um, but. In Alma's room is where Ellsworth comes and asks to have a word with Alma. Alma wants to get him a better chair rather than a stool, but Ellsworth says, like, no, nah, I'm look, I'm comfortably comfortable here. And the function of him just sitting on this little stool is it makes him lower than her. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a faux kneeling position yeah, yeah. that he's in. Uh, and we learn about Ellsworth's wife and baby girl. I had a wife took by typhus and our baby girl. I'm so sorry, Mr. Ellsworth. Oh, thank you. Anyways, I'm acquainted with certain experiences. Throwing up mornings as an example. I see. And I'd say it not... Claiming credentials for raising a family as my time with them was brief. But I'd hope it had testified to willingness as a candidate for marriage and so forth. Offering myself. Completing the Sorry, presentation. <laughs> Alma says, may I ask a brief interval before giving you my answer? She says, as long as you like, it'll give me time to get up. Which is <laughs> just good Ellsworth self-deprecating humor. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of, you know, he he has that little laugh of like, he gives a kneel. It's like completing the sorry presentation. Like, <clears throat> just really sweet, decent, wonderful Ellsworth. Yeah. Um, and she is sure to take his arm and say, thank you very much. Cause she will at least understand that this is a thoroughly decent and good thing that he's doing uh-huh. for her. I thought it was interesting that he answers. Yes, ma'am. Um, and now back then that's what you say to women, but it does have a smack of, um, subservience mm-hmm. and, uh, subordination she's still you know his boss but he's kind of like oh yes man and now um i've read before from jim beaver commenting on the episodes and this scene in particular was meaningful to jim beaver because during the first season he uh lost his wife um she had died And I'm just going to read from his comments from the What's Alan Watching blog. Uh, He says, during that episode, a lot of people expressed their concerns that David and the writers were perhaps being thoughtless or even exploitive by giving me lines to say about losing my wife so soon after it happened to me in real life. But as uh, but I said to them, as I've said to everyone, that it was not a burden. Indeed, it was a blessing. With that glorious scene, I was given a gift few actors get, the possibility of making some small good come of something terrible. 
of fashioning a tiny silk purse from the most enormous sow's ear. Indeed, when I first read the script, I went to David and I said, I know what you're doing here. Thank you. So much of our work as actors involves imagining how something would feel or calling up some inexact similarity from life to crudely replicate an emotion. With this scene, I got to play closer to life than with any scene I've ever played before or since, and I consider it the greatest gift I've ever been given as a performer. Until you've been able to shift a tiny portion of some terribly heavy emotion over into the positive column, you may not be able to understand how blessed I feel with that scene. So, <laughs> if you ever doubt Ellsworth's ability to make you cry, <laughs> it's something that comes from the actor, not yeah. solely from the character. Uh, now we get a little bit of humor to balance that out. So we're in the Bullock house, and Seth is just staring at a fire and poking at it. <laughs> Yeah, we we could we could just frame the scene and just title it "Marriage." Yeah. <laughs> just Seth staring at a fire and like mm. he's so clearly. And I shouldn't say you know I'm making a cheap joke about marriage, but this is Seth's character. Like mm-hmm. he's so uncomfortable in this domestic arrangement. It's also, this also <laughs> echoes uh, Alma trying to light the. <laughs> the stove yeah. for the tea as well. They're just both frustrated. They both take their frustrations out on fire. <laughs> and he's further along than her, but he's just yeah. as like poking at it. <laughs> um, but Martha comes down and tells Seth that I appreciate a whole lot this house that you've given me to live in. And if you could be a father figure to William and raise him to be a good man, I would be even more grateful to you. Uh, but you don't have to extend any more marital courtesy to me like this is over with um i'm not gonna do, like i'm not gonna do that while you're off banging her and he tries to tell her like uh it's not happened since you arrived <laughs> um and it's not happening again as long as we're you know together but martha does not like that answer no she says i will please don't sacrifice any further on my behalf Mm -hmm. uh she has a great great line of like i i repudiate Mm -hmm. the offer i find it poisonous (laughs) which is really really great yeah and i feel so bad for anna gunn because she seems stuck and i shouldn't say that because she's gonna be in many other things besides breaking bad and deadwood yeah but she's twice like her two most prominent roles i would say mm-hmm. involve being kind of this the, the kind of scolding marital figure to this protagonist man where everyone's like oh man why is she busting his balls like this like i don't know how many arguments i got in with breaking bad people are like skyler's such a bitch man and i'm like you fucking piece of shit no <laughs> and, and here we see shades of Skylar. Yeah. Um, but it's thoroughly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine life with Seth to be no picnic and it must be, you know, sh- you know, she, without being too insulting to Anna Gunn, when she sees 
Alma Garrett, she must be very intimidated. Yeah. <clears throat> Alma Garrett has the sense of style and grace and beauty that <clears throat> runs counter to um, Martha's more matriarchal uh, energy and appearance. Mm-hmm. And also Alma's filthy rich and is mm-hmm. going to be like a leader of the camp. So she must be incredibly insulted and embarrassed mm-hmm. and intimidated. There's also this kind of sense of like, uh, you know, the reason that, uh, you know, Seth is with uh, William and Martha is so that she's not, you know, so that she's not an unmarried woman a single mother and uh, Alma is currently basically in that role Mm. that uh, Seth married her to complete. And she wants, you know, you know, they both want each other, but yeah, like she probably resents that. Yeah. That she's able to be successful and she's, you know, because if, if Seth had not married her, she would be destitute with this child and she would have no kind of, uh, she would have no way of kind of ex- uh, surviving in this world. Right. Whereas Alma, like, she'll be fine. Don't need no man. Yeah. You know, um, she will eventually, but it's only mm. for appearances sake. It's, it's yeah. only for society. It's not, yeah, not to survive. Yeah. <laughs> not for actual fucking survival. That's a really great point. Um, and I thought this also kind of, continues the theme of like Seth forcing women to make decisions for him where he's like, look, we can still do it. You know, (laughs) she's like, no asshole. (laughs) You know, (laughs) she like, like that's not going to happen. Like you can't do this. And he's just like, "Mm, fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, now we go to the pioneer. (laughs) (laughs) Al comes down the walkway and he finds that Merrick's cleaned up his office. And this is another thing I noticed at Merrick's desk. He's got a portrait of Pet President Hayes, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. Uh-huh. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, I know the public and especially journalism's relationship with the presidency is, you know, changed drastically with Watergate. Mm-hmm. And up until then, you know, there was still... You know, like the first few presidents had a really tough time with the press. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, John Adams was called like a transvestite, basically. And uh, but uh, I thought it was interesting that, you know, Merrick, we've seen before him kind of carry this party line of like, oh, we're spreading West as part of this great manifest destiny. And Al's like, uh, you rube, yeah. like, basically. <laughs> uh, and here he's like. He's supposed to be a member of the press and he's like so proud of the fourth estate but he's like got a fucking picture of the president up yeah like come on now i mean i i think you and i growing up when we do mm-hmm. have a very different relationship to the office of the president yeah R- recent events in particular <laughs> <laughs> you know um but i just i, I don't know if that was put in by uh milch to put make any certain point or if it was just like oh they always had like you know in movies uh government offices and schools always had the picture of the president up anyway but al has come in because he has something he wants merrick to print 
and it's uh, Merrick kind of reads it out, and it's saying that like Seth will neither confirm nor deny that Montana has been talking to them <laughs> about annexation, and Merrick's like, "What? What is this?" <laughs> he's like, uh, "I I haven't spoken to Bullet," and he's like, "Has Bullet confirmed it to you?" <laughs> I haven't spoken to Mr. Bullock. He's like, then it isn't fucking confirmed <laughs> that you're not lying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is all part of Al's plan to kind of stoke this, uh, this question and mm-hmm. kind of build up their standing and not get trampled underfoot mm-hmm. by these other interests. Yeah. Um, it's also that great bit when it, it also reveals that, um, or where it's revealed to Al that there is a telegraph machine yeah. and a telegraph operator, which is something that pisses Al off that he didn't know about. Yeah. Because he's usually on top of everything and knows every single thing that's transpiring in the camp. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that slipped by him. <laughs> yeah. He saw the telegraph poles, but yeah, until yeah. now he doesn't know that there's like an actual telegraph operator like in the same building as him. Mm-hmm. Uh and yeah, he, he kind of yells at Merrick, like, how, how do you not told me about this? And Merrick's just like, I didn't think it was my responsibility. And he's like, we're marching together in the battle. And you know, and he's like, marching battle. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> dummy. <laughs> and he has to kind of grind it into Merrick's head that like, yeah, like, uh, independent fourth estate, all that, which, you know, we just talked about, he's got a portrait of the goddamn president. Yeah. But he's like, we have to like we're fighting for our lives here mm-hmm. and we got to communicate with each other then he does meet blazanov yeah <laughs> which is fucking delightful scene yeah of him like Blaz- <laughs> i love uh when he tells a joke like well yes i'm from russia and he's yeah. like oh no oh you could have waited till i sat down <laughs> <laughs> and like the smile that al gives yeah. is such a good like huckster smile of yeah. like ha 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 we're shooting the shit you and i and uh so yeah basically he's like uh get your sock or your prick sucked for free and my yeah. joint like as long as you tell me uh sucked constantly and without charge <laughs> i love that i also love that line where uh, blaz and i was like i don't i think i've run out of english and he's like oh yes. no you speak just the perfect amount <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Merrick tries to shield Blazanov. like, oh, you've come across our great, uh, we love to... Uh, American tradition. American One of tra- our unfortunate American traditions. The telling of tall tales. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Russia's politics are much cleaner. <laughs> but uh, let's see. Well, I mean, yeah, this was back in the time. I mean, this is just Romanovs just kind of ruling everybody. It wasn't even one of the exciting parts of the Romanovs. But anyway... I think Rasputin's knocking around, but I don't know. Maybe not for another de- couple decades. But anyway, yeah, so so Al is still continuing his, like, yeah. trying to shore up support for his idea and get people on his side. Um, now we have a really touching scene at the cemetery. Yeah. Mount Mariah. Charlie is talking to Bill, and he's he's telling him that Jane is in serious trouble, and he just does not know what to do about it. He says, I'm going to keep, I love that he says, like, I'll keep trying, but I, I don't know what to do, Bill. And this reminds me of the comments Jim Beaver made from last episode about, um, that's very true to Dayton Callie as a person where he's got this gruff exterior, but a very soft heart and warm person that isn't natural when it comes to 
you know, taking care of friends mm-hmm. and whatnot. I also think this, uh, this, this kind of points out two things in this episode where, uh, these two characters are speaking to a dead body, speaking to nobody. And this is, I just, I just realized this is the first episode where, like, cause that, that is a trait that, you know, that EB had just speaking to himself constantly. Mm. And EB's only scene <laughs> is where he has the toothache. Yeah. And so he's literally, EB is literally left out of the episode. And so other people have to pick up the slack by like <laughs> expressing like their inner, inner emotions to uh, somebody who can't respond back. Mm. And EB literally can't talk because he's gagging on a fucking globe <laughs> <laughs> towel. Um, now in Chinaman's Alley, Doc finds um, one of the Chinese whores that's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, right before this, though, there's that shot of Alma looking out and seeing Seth. Um, there's that drunk guy who's asleep on the table. Yeah, it's a soap with the prize inside. Yeah, soap with the prize. And what's funny is you brought—I didn't think about this—but uh, where Alma tries to go to Isringhausen and take take out her aggression on somebody she perceives as lesser, mm-hmm. like Seth. <laughs> you see Seth like literally prod him to start something, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> uh, and he just goes back to sleep, and Seth is like. I guess I can't fight him. I can't. Yeah, I can't. uh... I thought it was interesting that like he prods him and Mm -hmm. as he wakes up, he's instinctively like protecting himself. Uh (laughs) I think like Seth (laughs) is just going around menacing drunks and and whatnot. But yeah. Um, Yeah. Doc finds a dead Chinese whore and he finds Walcott and just kind of yells at him. Mm -hmm. And I think this sets up, you know, not only that what's going on with the whores, um, but prodding at walcott's conscience yeah um because then he talks to mose and he shows him where his brother's remains are he's like are you happy now can we finally close this deal um uh this makes him you know he's he's very impatient and mose is now like concerned about like well what about it was with my gun he was playing with so Mm -hmm. if anyone could find the bullet with could they trace it back and he's like no Dude, no one's going to find it. No one even cares, which is a harsh lesson for most to yeah. learn. Mm-hmm. Like, no one gives a shit about your brother. Like, no one's yeah. going to, like, investigate this. Yeah. Um. So he goes, now you can go get your money from Mr. Tolliver back at the Belly Union. Mose has that line, that easy to forget a fucking brother. Uh, And Walcott shouts back. Money has properties in this regard. You can see where Walcott's soul is now. It's yeah. just filling in this gaping chasm at his center of his being with more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, though no remedy is discovered yet, sovereign against sentimental remorse. And by the time he finishes that, he's talking only to himself. Yeah. Uh, which I think is kind of calling back to him murdering all the whores at the chaise on me yeah where he can feel that stirring within him mm-hmm. like he misses carrie and he didn't i don't think intend to kill maddie mm-hmm. um so he does have some sort of remorse about that and right now he's calling it out to himself like this is just cheap sentiment mm-hmm. this feeling of remorse and like, don't forget what really matters, money. Um, uh, and 
there's a there's a, another horde one that's still alive mm-hmm. that's looking at him and he screams at her to close her eyes yeah i thought it was interesting that she almost certainly doesn't understand anything that he's saying yeah but the look on her face and i don't know if this is just me reading into a blank face mm-hmm. but it kind of looks like she is amused at him talking to himself about like money can fix things nothing can you know overcome this sentimental remorse you're clinging mm-hmm. to she has this kind of look like she is amused and like dude you're fucked yeah and like you're you're a fucked up man you're screwed and i think i would wager that they probably coached her to do that because walcott is trying to suppress all the, this fact and reflected back at him in this yeah. horse face is the knowledge that mm-hmm. he is um he is incomplete and damaged yeah. and there's also that next shot where he looks at the other whore that doc was attending to and she's staring at because she's dead yeah and just her eyes are open and it's like don't look she's gonna look at you it's like you can't escape her gaze mm-hmm. but he walks off and he's walking to the chaise I mean. yeah he knocks on the door Joni says it's open. She tells him to like just be quick about what whatever it is you came to do. Like, mm-hmm. not whatever it is. She knows what he, she says. Just do what you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. She still has this death. She is suicidal. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he says? I don't know what I came to do. I don't know about you. I believe him. Right. No, I did too. Because I think he has feelings for Joni. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that he considers her an intellectual, someone close to his level, if not at his level. Right. And I think he's coming to her because he doesn't understand what's happening to him and wants some answers out of it, where she's just like, he's coming to get rid of me because I know what he did. Yeah. Um, he says, I don't know what I came to do the other nights I've known. She asks, is it easier saying that? She just doesn't believe him that he means it. Uh, we see Jane drunkenly walking down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Charlie was, she's supposed to be watching after Joni, but she fell asleep. And where's Charlie to piss in my ear when I need him? <laughs> um, and this is kind of this is similar to like kind of what she did with Sophia when she was supposed to be guarding her. Mm-hmm. And I guess she like missed dan or al al walking towards her yeah because she was watching the front door and he walked out the back whatever yeah um and walcott sees a bottle of basil hayden bourbon and he i think gets very brief encouragement that maybe she has feelings for him the way that he does for her Mm -hmm. he says like you were waiting for me and i think that is what saves Joni's life yeah that where we find out that that visit from Jane actually did yeah. <laughs> way more good than Charlie could have ever thought. Yeah. Like he was like, maybe it'll just get you out of your funk, but it actually saves Joni's life. Yeah, actually, uh, I would argue that it kind of does it for both of them because uh, Jane, you know, in that scene, Jane, you know, is poured the you know poured the uh, bourbon and she doesn't drink it, mm. you know, and so it's it's kind of as Jane's confronted with somebody who is literally you know it's like i'm just waiting here to die and jane sees that in her as kind of a fellow you know person with the death wish and um she's like 
Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I'm so not confronted with the actual mm-hmm. look at real death rather than just drinking yourself right to death. The sort of passive mm-hmm. death wish. It's actual. Like, no, I really want to be dead. Yeah, I'm waiting to die. She sees that and goes, "No, that's yeah. not what I want." Yeah. And I think both of them have that moment, and you see Jane kind of wake up and be like, oh, fuck, I uh, fucked up, I need to, I have purpose, I'm supposed to kind of help her out. And Joni's like, no, I have purpose too, I don't want to fucking die. And she takes the bottle and just smashes him in the face with it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, she says, my friend Jane left that. Yeah. Like, she's only met her the one time, and she stayed for yeah. 40 seconds. But she's like, no, my friend Jane, like, I have a, I have friends, Yeah, I I'm, have a reason. I'm not alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she she walks herself in the room and again I kind of I don't but I kind of feel bad for Walcott he just can't stop getting the shit beat out of him <laughs> yeah it's real, it's real hard to feel sorry for him but it kind of I don't know yeah no he's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna say I feel sorry for him but he's a he's a human monster yeah. but um in the thoroughfare he's staggering back. The hotel, bloodied once again. Jane finds him and approaches him, rifle drawn. <laughs> you the fucking cocksucker. <laughs> I may well be. <laughs> <laughs> I do really love his dry mm-hmm. um, approach to all these other cartoonish <laughs> characters. Yeah. He goes, I'm, you know, he says that, like, no, Joni's alive. She's fine. And go hands her her card. It's like my name's Francis Walcott. I'm staying at the Grand Central. If you find I've lied at any of the particulars, you may find me. Uh, and it Grand, ends on at the Grand Central. Yes, <laughs> this is such a great back and forth. She's like, "Who runs that joint? A grotesque named Farnham." <laughs> yeah, he ain't lied so far. <laughs> Everyone hates E. B. Yeah, <laughs> that's. Another thing that you not only uh, Tom Nuttall's uh, bicycle ride, but their hatred of EB brings the camp together. Everyone is united contempt for EB Farnham. <laughs> and that's where we leave it. So we see the forming of a lasting friendship with Jane and Joni. Uh, we see the full, we see the completion of the Hearst operation. Although they won't be happy with just that, um, but yeah, that's a, this is a really solid episode with a, a lot of important things happening and a lot of great character moments. Um, see the introduction of Tom's bicycle, which will be important. Um, yeah, really great little episode. Yeah. In the middle of a perfect season of television. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this show is so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, any uh, wrapping up ideas? No. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. Um, I hope you will join us next week as we look at episode nine. Um, as I said earlier, be sure to hit us up on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to us if you aren't already subscribed. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. We got a Facebook page. Always accepting new members. <laughs> uh, we're also on Twitter at Deadwood Pod, uh, or check out our home at MockingbirdNetwork.com. You can find our uh, 
podcast. That's what it's called. <laughs> Our podcast, you can find my other podcast where I talk about baseball called Throwing Junk. You can find The Stacks, live comedy, live from Houston, Texas. You can see uh, Polly Wanna Podcast, Ryan's Crush Corner, Relationship, tons of great stuff. Uh, but until next week, we will talk to you later. Mockingbird Network.